Hey guys and gals, we are back with another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. And today, Matt and I are joined again by Cuz Strickland, and we're talking more about food plots. But this time, we're discussing what types of food plots to plant in different situations, including recommendations for food plots focused on off-season nutrition and ways to use screening cover to improve your plots and hunting. So, with all that said, stick around, thank you for listening, and enjoy. Welcome to... The 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. I'm here today with my good friend Matt Drury of Drury Outdoors and our special guest again this week, Matt. Who is with us today? We have an absolute legend in the outdoors, Cuz, Ronnie Cuz Strickland. He's been a friend of Mark and Terry's and Drury Outdoors. He, of course, has been with Moss Yoke since pretty much the beginning. Uh, Cuz, welcome to the show again. Hey, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It makes me, I love listening to you guys because uh, I'm like, you know, your dad. I'm one of the older guys, and to hearing the passion that you guys have, it just, uh, it, man, it, up, it, it uplifts me, and I'm, uh, I'm really glad to be a part of this. Well, we appreciate that. Before we get into the, the question of the day today, I wanted to ask you, you've known Mark and Terry for so long, and of course, Mossy Oak and Drury Outdoors has been joined at the hip in a lot of ways since the beginning, well, for sure, since the beginning of the Drury Outdoors uh, organization, but in a lot of ways, since the very early days of the Mossy Oak organization, do you have any good dirt on those two? <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could dig some up, but I'll... And I don't need to tell you this, but I can tell you why Mark and Terry are still here. And I'll, I could, I could, I could get tore down emotionally about this, but it's, it's, it's morals and ethics and character. You know, I was blessed to introduce them when they were inducted to the, the Outdoor Hall of Fame down there in Nashville. And it took me about ten seconds to write what I was going to say, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to deliver this from the heart because those guys have, uh, they, they have not only led the way in a lot of uh, scientific stuff, they are the food plot kings, the big buck kings, but how they've handled themselves. And, and, you know, there's a lot of proof to that, but the fact that you're sitting there, that Taylor's out there working with your family, I got no dirt on those two because I don't think there is any dirt on those two. <laughs> well, we appreciate the kind words. I know down in Nashville, that induction, it was a very emotional uh, moment and, and it was a proud moment to get to see it all kind of come full circle because you guys we wouldn't be here Mark and Terry always say it um, everybody needs their shot like everybody needs you could work as hard as you want to but at the end of the day sometimes you just need your shot or somebody needs to give you an opportunity and that's yeah. what Moss Yoke did for us and we are extremely loyal to them and extremely proud of our partnership and you know sponsorships aside everybody kind of gets caught up in that and they think it's all about the money and this and that well it isn't always about that sometimes it's about um, loyalty and I know Mark you have your own stable of good partners that are mm -hmm. different from our stable of partners and it doesn't matter you know we're all family I think I yeah. saw because uh, uh, the other week I saw you post something with Nick uh, Munt and and Michael Waddell at your grandson and said we're all family and that's right I mean that was a perfect example of it well it is you know it's a it's like a cult you know even though the hunting industry's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger it's kind of like everybody knows everybody and I can tell you you can look at who that we work with and uh, kind of see the cream of the crop but you know especially the older you get the more kind of 
choosy you are about who you spend your time with. Well, we just we just ended up with quality people and uh, gamekeeper type people, but it's those family oriented people. And there's a lot of them in the outdoor industry, but uh, you can put Mark and Terry up there at the top. I promise you, the way you guys handle yourself, the way the next wave is coming on, it's, it, you should be very proud. We're very proud for you. Well, we appreciate that. Speaking of gamekeepers, uh, we've got another habitat-focused episode today with some food plot-related questions, and uh, I'm kind of itching to chat about that because that's on my mind right now too. I'm starting to think about my plans. So, uh, Matt, do you think we should get to that question of the day? Absolutely. You know what? We're probably already late to the game for what <laughs> we need to be doing. It seems like it never ends. But. True. Hi, Mark and Matt. This is Shane from Central Missouri. Appreciate everything you guys are doing for us deer hunters. A great podcast. I've got two-part question regarding off-season food plots. First, what's a good crop to plant in the off-season for spring that will provide the best nutrition? And then secondly, what's a good crop to surround my food plot as it's kind of on a field edge that kind of grows thick and tall, obviously non-invasive, to provide the best cover to make the deer feel a little more comfortable using it? I appreciate your inputs. Keep up the good work. So, cause, uh, what do you think about this? Can you take a stab at uh, part one to get started? Well, part one, you know, as far as the, you know, there, there, there's a lot of possibilities there. But when you say an off season, you know, to me, it's I got two things I really love, and I'm sure uh, Mark and Terry would probably answer this better. But I love clover and soybeans. Uh, soybeans, people think you got to be a, a, a an experienced farmer. You don't the first time. Well, the first three or four times I planted soybeans for an off-season deal, I, I just broadcast them. I said, I told myself the sling master. I didn't have <laughs> anything to plant anything in rows. You know, I had an old, like an 8-in Ford tractor that, uh, man, you put a little bit of diesel and a lot of oil in it. But anyway, <laughs> I, I worked that dirt and worked that dirt and worked that dirt. And then I had a uh, one of those big five-gallon buckets on the back of a four-wheeler. And I would simply broadcast soybeans, uh, and man, if, if, and then drag something over them to cover them up. There's nothing going to attract deer, I don't think, any better in that early, early, you know, whenever they're coming up, May, June, July, that kind of time, better than soybeans. Now, again, don't be scared to to, to broadcast them. If you got Roundup ready stuff and you can't get back down the roads, that's okay. You're planting for deer. You're not trying to get maximum tonnage so you can sell it, you know, to the co-op deal. You're trying to grow deer food, so don't be don't be afraid to broadcast some soybeans as far as an off-season crop. That's my opinion. Is there a certain size? Because one of the things I've heard about planting soybeans as a food plot is that sometimes if you're planting a very small area, you're going to get those those deer and they're just hammering it so hard early that you're not going to be able to actually get those soybeans to reach maturity because they're able to overwhelm a small area. Is that something you've seen before? And is there any kind of threshold that you recommend people try to, you know, make sure they reach before trying to plant soy, soybeans, you know, should it be at least an acre or at least five acres or I don't know, something like that. Yeah. A lot of that's got to do with deer density. The first time I'm planting them, yeah, they ate them down pretty good. Uh, you know, we, they make stuff you can fence it off with and it doesn't have to be electric. You know, the gamekeepers guy, they have a uh, biologic has some tape you can put around there, but I found that, you know, I put it out there for them to eat it. And when you say an off-season crop, you know, that's what it is. It's for something to keep them there 
and and April, May, June, July, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's a chance you take, especially once they find it. They found it, and if they found it and they're and they're just mowing it down, hey, cover it up. Throw some wheat out there. Wheat's one of the best cover crops there is. Uh, you can throw wheat out there and it get rained on. I mean, some some varieties of wheat will grow in asphalt. They're almost like rock grass. So I, I, I say you ain't got nothing to lose if they just hammer your soybeans, go right over the top with it again and put some wheat out there. Keep them coming to that spot. So you mentioned clover as well there. What, you know, what time of year are you typically putting in your clover for an all, you know, all season deal? I know a lot of people put it in what, like March, February, March. Well, the best time to plant clover is in the fall. You know, it's no doubt about it. And, and it, that's as much for weed control as everything, but you can kind of frost seed it again. Once you get a stand of clover, you can come out there in February, March when it starts warming up and you kind of overseed that again. But, Typically, your best stand of clover is going to come when you plant it in the fall. A lot of people don't plant clover because they think it's hard to keep the weeds out, but there's stuff you can spray on there. And there's clover is one of those things, number one, that you don't have to have a giant plot of it. If you want to spray the weeds out of your clover, you can do it with a hand sprayer. It's like you don't have to have a giant tractor with booms and all that kind of stuff. To me, clover is like the number one thing. As far as keeping it growing all the time for deer and turkeys, everything eats clover. So, clover's good if you don't have to have a, a if you don't if you can't just plant little spots. Or people mess up with clover, and you've seen it. The seeds are so tiny. If you if you disc that field up and you don't get your seed bed kind of really tight, if the clover falls down too far and you run over or cover up with a gulch packer, it's probably not coming up. The best way to plant the clovers in the fall. Get that seed bed as smooth as you can and just throw it out right before rain and don't even cover it up. But if I had to plant one thing on my farm and I said, that's it, you can't plant corn, you can't do anything, I'm putting clover out. Now, one of the things about clover too, correct me if I'm wrong, cuz, but as I understand it, one of the great benefits of clover is to your point, you know, if you plant it in the fall, come spring, come March or April, that's going to be one of the very first food sources to green up and provide great nutrition for deer at a time frame when that's that's the lowest point for other nutrition. You know, there's not lots of ag crops in March or April. There's not all this natural forage necessarily. Having clover can fill that gap in the in the deer's annual kind of cycle of when they really need some of those resources too. You've got does that are getting ready to give birth. Um, a lot of these times, you know, that's that's a spot where they just don't have a lot of the options. So it seems like clover is a great way to, to keep it there year round. It fills that gap nicely early in the off season. Is that is that the way you see it too? That's absolutely right. And you, I promise you, you can talk to any of the great guys out there growing deer, Mark Terry, whoever it is, Grantwood. They tell you the exact same thing. Uh, if you'll catch that clover early in February, March, depending on where you live. Uh, put the right fertilizer out there, let it get rained on. Yes, that's the first thing coming up. You know, it's a tiny plant, and it doesn't have to grow much to offer food, and it's very rich in minerals. It's, it's To me, it's the ultimate thing. Now, I'm like, I'm like uh, Matt. I love hunting around that standing corn, and I'm going to plant some of that every year. But clover, to me, is almost the magic pill. When you when you're planting this stuff, do you do you do much food plot architecture? Do you you know think of the the kind of 
moving your herd from one area to the of the farm to the next to get them to the end result of sit, you know sitting on that clover eating it right in front of your stand how do you approach that side of things you know to me man it was more of a terrain thing because i didn't have a really big farm I, I i studied and studied and studied these topo maps and went and looked and i i, I just I, I made sanctuaries i said that's always going to be a sanctuary now i may have to address that a little bit with uh you know planning or something like that but i said i'm going to have these sanctuaries because this place is small and i'm going to grow these food plots right here and i never ever ever go in those sanctuaries for any reason now yes i've been up in them looking for a a, a bad hit you know or a fall on a blood trail but mine was more architecture to do with what was already there a smaller place that i'm going to always have those deer in a safe zone now, I'm sure they hear me come by there or, or you know, hear a four-wheeler or hear a tractor or something like that, but I don't have really enough room to try to move the deer from spot to spot. I got 10 places that I got strips of clover or clovers at the end. I always try to have a little clover in each of the food plots. So do you, on those sanctuaries, do you even hunt them during like the rut or, you know, the prime time for your area do you get in and, and hunt those areas during that time or stay out of it all together stay out of it all together the reason being my deal is a little different i got uh grandkids i got you know i had all girls and they hunted with me a little bit especially Lauren. but now i got three grandsons that are of hunting age five eight and ten and uh and of course my wife will go on the, the right kind of days and uh, I kind of got everything set up for food plots. I got permanent shooting houses there that I built that stay there year-round. And, uh, you know, I don't really go up in there. As much as I love to climb up in a lock-on and kill a big deer with a bow and arrow, you know, I just kind of got this place for them, and I, I make sure I don't go in those sanctuaries. Our rut is real different down here anyway. The, the terrain is so different in the southern United States. It's so thick. The sanctuaries that I've got picked, Man, it'd be hard to get up in there and hunt them in any way, shape, or form. So the sanctuaries are always on the edge of my food plots, if that makes any sense. Sure. I think I think it's a kind of the evolution of hunting. Not, you know, I think probably your, um, your guys that are maybe public land hunters or do-it-yourselfers or, you know, somewhat of the, the least guys, they, they're not probably getting in and digging into this food plot side as much. But ultimately – I think, you know, when you do have a decent sized property and it really doesn't take that much. I mean, heck, if you got 30 acres and, you know, you create yourself a hidey hole food plot, you know, you, you still have the ability to draw deer into your place. Uh, but I think it's just kind of been the evolution, so to speak. And you talked about it, uh, with your shooting houses. Uh, we get, we get tons of crap over this and we have, cause I think from a, like an entertainment standpoint, people would much rather see, obviously, a guy in a tree and in the hardwoods and, and deer coming up. And that's kind of how we got our start way back in the day. And that's it's just it's a different feeling that you get watching that. But realistically, when you're trying to do it um, with with family and you take into consideration, you know, and, and you're you know, you're doing everything for hunting the country as well. And, you know, we're, we're doing ours for the TV shows like you're trying to stack the odds in your favor as much as possible. And those food plots are just their keys to our success. And I don't think outside of maybe trail cameras, there's been anything more um, substantial in how we've 
gained our success over the years than food plots and, and ultimately like box blinds, you know, whether it's you're buying them or you're building them, they're just, it's crazy how successful you can be using that strategy. Well, I have a guy, you'll, you'll appreciate this being what role you play in that business. I aired one of the first shows we ever aired that shop from a shooting house. We were over at Bent Creek Lodge, which is a great place. Those guys have like 380 food plots. And I found a ten, nine or 10 year old kid killing his first deer out of a shooting house over a greenfield. This was way back when the cameras were giant. Anyway, I get this letter, a handwritten letter from this guy talking about how evil that was. <laughs> you're in a house, you're not teaching that kid how to hide. Uh, you're hunting over bait because it's a food plot. Well, he had enclosed his name and phone number. I called the guy. I got him on the phone and said, let me tell you something. I had a nine-year-old kid with me who had been hunting about ten times who had never seen a deer, ever. And he could almost care less at that point to be there. We saw like 14 or 15 deer that afternoon. He killed his first deer. I've never seen anybody more excited. By the end of the conversation, the guy was asking me the dimensions. <laughs> I said, how could I build one? It's all a mindset. Yeah, I'm, I look, I'm 62 years old. I got like 10 lock-ons. I can't wait to get up in them, especially like around Christmas time with my PSC because that's what I live for. I just love that. But. I want to take those kids and my wife and all of them and make them be successful. And the best way to do that is in a shooting house on a food pot where they can see deer. And if somebody's got a problem with that, hey, look, we're all on the same team. I don't care what you do. If you get a, a hunting license and you're legal, I don't care if you use a rifle or a rock, you're on my team. Yeah. Well put. And realistically, the complaint is always that we need to get more numbers. We got to get youth. We got to get women into the outdoors and we need to do a better job at, at inclusion. And if you, so there's, there's one thing, privatization of land, it, it, it makes it harder. So if you have these ways to get people, youth, whoever involved, that could be a buddy that never hunted before and get them interested. Like, why not? Why are we, why are we bickering over the style and the mode just because it may not be what you do or what you have at your disposal? I mean, at the end of the day, you, you hit it on the head. We're on the same team here. Like let's get people involved at any way, shape or form. If they could go into a shooting house and have a little bit more room to move around or talk or like, we get a lot of crap for that too. Like how much we talk to each other. I, I couldn't I don't know what it would be like to hunt without a cameraman I've literally in my entire life never have hunted without a camera guy and neither has Taylor It's because we grew up this way I, but more than anything it's like besides the camera portion in the business I've told told friends this a long time I don't know that I would hunt without a friend coming with me anymore because sharing the experience is why I enjoy it so much some people say I just want to be left alone and be by myself but I've grown to love the experience of sitting there and, and getting to talk with somebody. And I know like, uh, you know, I, I still hunt quite a bit out of a stand. It's different. You're not chit chatting. I mean, you're sitting there and they're looking one way, you're looking the other, but if you're in a shooting house, Hey, you know, you got time on your hands a lot of times and it's a good way to let the time pass. So it, it's all about that friendship and camaraderie and, and, and inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's something to be said about that transition I've, i said this and people say it all the time but 30 years ago i made the statement that 
a hunter goes through four stages. The first stage is he just wants to get one, and whatever it is he's after, could be ducks or deer. The second stage is he wants to get as many as he can stack in the back of his truck, just go on a spree. The third stage is he wants the best, the biggest, the largest, whatever. And the fourth stage is that's just kind of who they've become. And then they turn into a teacher and a gamekeeper. And guys get stuck in different stages. You know, I'm glad I made it to stage four and uh, you too. So, so speaking of going back, talking about one of the things, one of the aspects that sometimes uh, people don't like, but in this case, it sounds like Shane does like, which is the food plot piece. And the second part of his question was about, you know, a situation where you've got a food plot out in the open, maybe in view from a road or adjacent to a great big wide open field um, where maybe you need some screening cover to encourage some more daytime use. Um, I'm assuming he's talking in this case now about during the hunting season when you're trying to get deer out there during daylight. Um, I've got a lot of experience with this, but I'm curious, cuz what would your thoughts be? What kind of things could he plant or utilize to, to better provide that cover around the open food plot? Well, a lot of a lot of variables there, and you're going to think I'm crazy. You know, if you don't own the land, I had some spots like that, and I planted pine trees because down here, pine trees will just boom. You know, they after that third year, they just go crazy. Now, if you're leasing land and you got some stuff that you need, you really need, if he's just wanting cover, to get, I'm assuming he wants cover to get in and out of his hunting location. Is that right? It could be that, or, or the other possibility I thought of is that it could also be to try to provide some sense of um, seclusion for deer feeding in that food plot. So, you know, rather than coming out to that open food plot and being able to see 500 yards in all directions and maybe because of that not wanting to go out there during daylight, um, you could plant some kind of cover around it, like pine trees, like you mentioned, so that they go in there and still feel secluded. I think that could be one other scenario. Yeah, it is. And you're going to think I'm crazy, and I've I've grown these things some, but, uh, you know, if it's not a big place and you just want to seclude like a, a honey hole, a hidey hole food plot, uh, write this down because you'll see people doing it all the time. But there's this uh, a thing called sun choke, and it, it gets a kind of a turnip looking thing on the bottom. But the top, when you plant a sun choke, it's kind of like a little potato. You plant the bulb down in the ground. Those things will get 10 or 15 feet tall by the middle of October. They're unbelievable. And when you get all these bulbs at the bottom of them, when the, the plant starts dying after a couple of hard frosts, you can pull them up and eat them. They're delicious. But Sun chokes is a good thing. If you want something permanent, something to hide it, you know, there's a lot of warm season native grasses, but that's got, you got to get somebody out there that knows what they're talking about there and knows what will grow in your place. But uh, sun chokes, look it up on the internet. I'm telling you, it's the coolest cover thing as far as building a little barrier in one hunting season that you'll ever see. Not many people use that. Yeah, that's cool. I've never heard of that. Is that sun yeah. choke? Choke like? Your neck choke, C-H-O-K-E, or yeah, how do you spell that? Yeah, that's what you pull up on the internet. It's called a sun choke. The plants get a tiny little yellow flower on them, almost like a sunflower. They're in the sunflower family. But the tubulars at the bottom, they're delicious. They're, like, really good for people who have diabetes and stuff like that. You wash them off, slither them, put them in a salad. It's really good stuff. But I'm telling you, the stalk of the plant, if you plant them, you know, probably two feet apart, something like that. And you got a little fertilizer and they get a little rain, they will get literally get 10 to 12 to 15 feet tall. Plus you can eat them when you're done. So it's a blocking, cro- it's a blocking crop. When do you plant those? 
you know, March, February, Mar uh, April, March, April, and by November is when when the when the leaves start turning brown. You know, you can kind of clip them off. You're done then. But that's down here. That would be up into mid-November. So they're not going to last all winter long. But the stalks get really tall. It's a good. It's hard to get something to grow that fast for like this year. Everybody wants you know immediate something immediate. If you want something like for cover this year, so you can get in and out, look them up. Plant some sunchokes. Interesting. I'd never heard of that. That's that's a cool idea. I've I've utilized something similar um, a lot because I've got a couple scenarios just like this um, where one of my main food plot systems is within easy view of the road. And so when I first started hunting and planting this area, I would see a lot of does and a couple of year and a half old bucks, but but never mature buck during daylight. And finally, I got to thinking, okay, it's because this food plot's just it's not a safe place for that mature deer to come out of the cover and venture into. So the uh, the solution I found was planting something called uh, Egyptian wheat and mixing that with sorghum. And so I planted a mix of Egyptian wheat and sorghum in a row, essentially creating a wall around the outer um, outer border of this little food plot. And I've done that now for, I don't know, four or five years, four years now, I think. And that's that's made a huge difference. And, and similar to the sunchokes, that's something that you could plant in the spring and um, it would be up and tall by, by hunting season. So I think I usually plant it in early June and within three, four months, so by October 1st, which is our opening day here in Michigan, it's 10, 12 feet tall um, and providing ter terrific cover. So so that's worked really well for me too. I think the one thing with that that I've learned for anyone who might want to try that particular strategy is not to overseed it. The temptation there is that you want to just put a lot of seed out in an area and then hope that's going to make for a really great big thick wall of cover. Uh, but in the case of, of this type of thing, these plants need enough space to, to get enough sunlight to reach their full potential as far as height and, and kind of their brushiness and everything like that. So be careful about whatever uh, seed rate you use and then get those in there just before a good rain and, and fertilize and lime and, and everything to, uh, to the particular need. And that's, that's a great way to get quick cover too. Um, the one other thing I'd mentioned that I've learned on that note would be I actually have had a, a scenario once where I planted this screen, and it was one, this food plot when I first started planting it was pretty small. It was like an eighth of an acre, a little hidey hole food plot, kind of like you were saying, cuz. And I planted this screen around it, and the screen grew up nice and tall. And it was either opening day or the second day of the season. I think it was the second day of, of this particular season. I had one of the main bucks I was after on that farm come in, but he came right up to the edge of the cover within shooting range. But because I had that screening cover planted there, I couldn't get a shot at him. I could see him when he was out of range walking. And then he eventually though disappeared behind the wall. So when he was in the range, I couldn't shoot. And then for whatever reason, then after standing there for a while and nudging some does around and stuff, he never actually came through into the food plot and then turned around and I never could get the shot. So what I learned from that was in a small situation like that, or if you're trying to hunt close to that, where you're not going to be able to shoot over the wall of cover if there's a deer that's not in the food plot yet you might want to cut some little lanes um so what i kind of learned is, is is maybe go in there and just push down a foot or two foot wide section every once in a while where you might want to get a shot if you're planning on hunting that location that was that was the one mistake i made that kept me from getting what would have been my biggest michigan buck ever so uh that that's kind of what i've done and what i've learned that's it. That's good input. And as you guys are talking about this, it's, it's like, it's, it's triggering a light bulb for me. Cause I, I got some guys that are hunting right on my fence line. So maybe I need to 
plant this right on the fence line yeah. and start directing deer in different ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the proper name or the other name for sunchoke is Jerusalem artichoke. Hmm. And uh, you have to order the bulbs through the mail. But the good thing about them is they go nuts. They're real easy to plant. And if you don't uh, really harvest them all, man, they'll just keep growing and growing and growing. But I'm telling you, by early October, they'll be 10 or 12 feet tall. But you can just Google Jerusalem artichoke or sunchoke and and look at that. And that's great for fence cover and stuff. Plus, you can eat it. So. That yeah. makes it special to me. <laughs> Very cool. And to your point earlier, cuz, another great way of using any one of these different things we talked about is to provide cover for entry and access or entry and exit. Because lots of times if you have to go buy an open wide field, you're gonna be spooking a lot of deer. But if you can plant some strip of cover and use that to seclude your your movement through there, that can that can change how you hunt a property completely too. Um, so if you're in a position where you have the ability and uh, the permission to do that, or if you own the land and you can do that, that's a really smart way to do it. Um, you know, something that's, we haven't mentioned real yeah, That's quick. what Mark Terrier are always so good at. Like you go to their places and it's amazing to see the access that they have to a stand. And it's, they, I mean, you think once you're, you see it, it's like, oh, that was, that was not that hard to think up, but <laughs> For some reason, it, it, it is more difficult than you think. Like it's it's amazing. Like Mark's spots, he's got so much warm season grasses yeah. where you literally can't see anything until you pop up right into his you know into a stand. And it's it's I mean it makes a difference a lot of times. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I'd love to have that kind of cover. Big, okay. great, big CRP fields. Yeah, and encroachment's bad. Some people think, well, you know, pressure, hunting pressure is the guns going off or riding forward. It's not. It's going in there, you know, and them seeing you and leaving your scent and all that. And Mark and Terry are masters of that. But, you know, that uh, that's a big deal. There's so much to think about. What we don't want to do is make it so complicated people are scared to go. But, buddy, when you get it to Mark and Terry's level, that's special. It's fine science at that point. <laughs> True. True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We got a lot to learn, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> always. Always. You know, one other thing I thought of that we haven't mentioned yet that – um, could be used in this situation too, is just corn. If you have the the ability and the equipment to plant a big, you know, several, I don't know, 10, 16 rows or whatever of corn along the outside of a food plot, that's another good way um, to provide cover and to make the inside of that maybe your green food source seem really nice and secluded. And then you also have that extra food on the outside, and that's kind of a great way to create a combo plot. Um, it is. Mark and dad do that a lot when it's on the interior of their properties. But dad, when he, he's planted that as a, um, a, like a cover crop on his fence lines before and it kind of backfires on you because ultimately then you got deer going to eat it, you know, yeah. if it's standing there. So it, it's, it's twofold. I think it works perfect for that green to grain cover that you're talking about and food plot architecture. But I, I don't know that you necessarily want, would want to use it as a, cover crop you know close to a fence line because it, it can definitely be a double-edged sword he still does it uh to, on some of his spots but i know he got away from it in, in, in a lot of his other areas too yeah that's a good point depends on the scenario and same thing too if you're trying to create some type of cover to provide access into a spot corn might not be the best option because again if you're if you're attracting deer because of the food then that eliminates the whole purpose of keeping you from spooking deer because now when you go past that corn every time you're going to be potentially spooking those deer so um in those kinds of instances something like the the sun choke or sorghum or conifers or something like that that might be the better bet so it definitely depends on the specific scenario 
Do we have anything else we need to cover on this one? I, I'm good, cuz. How about you? Hey, I spilled all my beans in the lobby, man. I, I've learned <laughs> as much as I've talked about, so it's all good. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, cuz, again for joining us for another episode. Um, it's been it's been a treat. I'm really glad that we were able to chat. Hey, well, bring me back when you guys are talking turkey. I'm a little bit more at home with that, but uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate. I- I want to I want to have you back on at some point to talk about some of the stuff that you do on your property as it pertains to kind of living being able to live off the land without any technology. So if doomsday happened, I know that Cuz <laughs> is prepared. He's he's a bit of a prepper. <laughs> Almost, I have I have the only solar power chicken coop in Mississippi, and uh, uh, you know everybody's a prepper. It's just what degree. If you got a spare tire in your truck, you're a prepper. I like <laughs> That's awesome. You're, you're a gamekeeper status of preppers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, would love to share it with you. Mine's, mine's more about gardening and stuff like that, but I would love to talk about it because it's, uh, it's a very hot topic right now. It's fascinating. Well, yeah. thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate it, cuz. Thanks for having me. I look forward to the next talk. Awesome. Well, to everyone out there listening and watching, Just my usual reminder, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to submit your own question, which we would love to tackle in a future episode, you can go to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And that's it for me. What what kind of updates do you have, Matt? Yeah, on that topic, on the questions, uh, definitely try to flood us here because what we're hoping to plan on doing here is Mark may actually come down to St. Louis where our studio is at, and we're going to try to knock out a bunch in a couple day period. So we're trying to stock up on good, pertinent, timely questions. So flood us with it. Uh, let's see what you got. And hopefully here in March, I think that's kind of what we talked about, right, Mark? Yeah. yeah. March timeframe, we're going to try to get together where we're on set together and roll through a bunch of these. And uh, the goal this year, I said it earlier in the year, we're going to try to be more consistent, try to be where we're getting, you know, 40, 45 podcasts out for the year. So uh, we need the good questions. We need you guys. And, and uh, please hit us up. So any anytime you want to check out what Dre Outdoors is doing, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and ultimately the podcast that we're doing right now. You could view it over on YouTube on the Dre Outdoors channel along with all kinds of great new content we're putting out daily on DOD TV. So please check it out. And uh, as always, safe hunting out there. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for being here with us today. Have a great day. Peace.